Welcome to this first edition of our Poetry Podcast. I'm Shane Green, part of the team here at Independent Schools Victoria, where we're holding a poetry competition for all Victorian school students from all sectors. The competition is an event of the Arts Learning Festival, which we present as a celebration of the importance of the arts in education. Last year, we held a short story competition, which was a runaway success. This year, it's all about poetry. We're after a poem of no more than 60 lines. You can let your creativity run free or embrace our optional theme, which is hope. Now, we settled upon this a while ago, but in these challenging days, we think hope is especially important. With students at home, we also think it's a perfect time to write a poem and enter our competition. You'll go into the running for book voucher prizes as well as being published on our short story dispensers. You can find out more by going to artslearningfestival.com.au or email us at stories at is.vic.edu.au. Well, back to the subject of today's podcast, which is all about poetry. It's aimed at helping teachers develop their students' poetry potential, but it's also full of tremendous ideas for parents, carers and students. What is poetry? How do you open your poet's heart? What's a suitcase and a fish tank got to do with it? We're joined today by two terrific guests, Alan Wright, an educational consultant, writer and poet, and Corin Kaplan, an educator with a passion for literacy. Jenny Janova from ISV is asking the questions. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about all things poetry, and we're very fortunate to have with us Alan Wright and Corin Kaplan, and we're going to ask them to introduce themselves to you. Alan, would you like to start? Uh, my name is Alan Wright. I'm an educational consultant, a writer, and most importantly, I'm a poet. And I'm Corin Kaplan. I'm an educator with a passion for literacy. So we'll start with a very open-ended question. What is poetry? It's a question I sometimes avoid asking at the beginning when we're starting to introduce children to poetry. The reason being that I, I can almost predict what they're going to say, that poetry rhymes. And so I avoid asking that question quite deliberately I know Corin has a, a different way of dealing with this and I'll get her to explain that in a moment. But I often ask the question after they've been exposed to poetry for a long time and then I'm, I'm often amazed at the sort of answers I get. Things like, it's that stuff that doesn't go all the way to the edges or it's a smoother way of saying something. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for that, that broader idea of what, what poetry actually is. Um, and it's interesting, even from my own perspective, over the years, I've, I've come to th think about what is my own definition of poetry. And for me, it's evolved into it's bringing our very best words and squeezing them into tight spaces to create some sparks. Corin? Well, as Adam mentioned, we did have a, a brief conversation about this. And um, what is poetry? Well, when we normally launch a unit on poetry, I often start asking the question, well, what is a poem? And yes, children very often say it's rhyming. So I agree with Alan then and there. But what we like to do is to actually track the growth in their thinking. So although they start with that, we then start 
exploring poetry. And it's wonderful to see how the children, together with the teacher, develop their understanding of what poetry is. Um, after immersing them in poetry for weeks at a time, they begin to get a feel of what poetry is. So what is poetry? Well, is it the best chosen word hand-picked? Is it, does the answer to that lie in its structure? Does the answer to that lie in that it profoundly raises our awareness of the world around us? I don't think it's a one-word answer. No, definitely not. I think of a student many years ago who answered the question at the end of a study on poetry, Poetry lies in the white spaces between the black. And I thought, wow, well, I don't think I could say that what a pearl. more. What a, pearl, yeah. a, a definition. Yeah. That's beautiful. Let's talk about what it is about poetry that makes it more impactful or more memorable than a piece of prose. The interesting thing from my perspective, and, and I've, I've thought about this a lot, when you're writing on an economy of scale, you have to, again, as I mentioned before, bring your very best words. So the writer is charged with that responsibility. So every word that is in a poem must carry its weight. And this is, I guess, what sets it apart because you've got this economy of scale operating and we know that that enhances uh, the words that are used. They, they become more valuable, uh, they, the value that the writer places on them, plus how the reader might interpret those words. So I, I think that's the special aspect for me of poetry, that I, I'm charged with a responsibility to bring my best words into that very tight space. And I suppose just to lead on from that, Alan, I suppose poetry encourages us to power down a message or experience to the fewest words that we can, yes. each word being hand-selected, hand-picked, each word being a pearl. And also maybe it's a way of manipulating and arranging words to create a very unique perspective of that, the world. Yes, that, that once the writer realises that they can manipulate or, or move words around, that, that's a powerful you know, choice that, a, that the writer realises they have and I think that, that helps their uh, perspective of poetry. But I was thinking, you know, like if we think of poetry, it's a fairly lightweight construction and yet there's power in, in the way that um, those powerful phrases uh, are brought together and they can bring clarity and calmness, but they can also help us to deal with conflict. They can uh, get a message across that the world needs to know or purely to, just to entertain. So it, the mission of poetry is quite broad and, and the writer can find what mission they want poetry to have for them. And I love your use of the word power because I think poetry has the power to make the ordinary extraordinary. Yes. So it it's, can be very impactful. Absolutely. So there's a magic there. There's a magic yeah. that you hope that every young poet, every young reader, every young writer comes to know their poet's heart. Um, and, I mean, from my journey, I was fortunate that I had a teacher in grade six who opened my poet's heart, who loved poetry himself and read a lot of poetry you mentioned before about the, um, the, the need for immersion. And I, I always love what um, M. Fox says when she talks about immersion. She says, don't just immerse them, grab their heads and dunk them under. <laughs> and it's true. We, we, we need, there's, 
there's no outer limit to how much poetry uh, children can be exposed to. And my, as I said, my teacher, Mr Harris, made a point of doing that, reading a lot of different poetry. And so we got not only to appreciate it from the point of view of listening to those words, but seeing those words as well. So we, 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 need, to, we need to reach their eyes, their ears and their hearts. You've both um, had a lot of experience working in schools and working with teachers. From that experience, would you say that there's sufficient time in our literacy programs for poetry? Do you see poetry being taught or well taught in schools? That's a fairly sketchy picture that gets painted there. In some schools, poetry has, I guess, a a strong and central part in in the English curriculum. In other schools, it's it's not considered as important and it's purely to do with the confidence that a teacher brings, uh, their relationship with poetry. It may have been a bad experience back in their earlier days and they've avoided poetry or they have a very narrow concept of what constitutes poetry. So they may be presenting the same forms of poetry each year. And I'm at pains to point out that there's more to poetry than haiku and acrostics. And whilst they they are valid forms of poetry, we can also introduce children to a whole lot more, a broader idea of it. So I think the same goes for teachers as it does for, for young poets, They need to be reading a lot of poetry. They need to be collating and collecting poetry for their own purposes so that they begin to see poetry as a non-threatening thing. And they need to start off with simple forms of poetry themselves so that they can see its allure. Without that, it's not going to happen. So we, we shouldn't be confining poetry to just a unit of work. We can introduce poetry in those five minutes when we, we need to maybe to start the day or to end the day or when there's we need a time filler. We can just introduce a poem for the sake of listening to poetry because once we start to do that, we're, we're encouraging kids to listen and to observe and note poetry in the world around them. And I've often said to children that even as a, as a teacher wandering about in the playground, I heard poetry. It was in children's games and rhymes and in the conversation of people around me. So poetry is everywhere. It's just a matter of alerting children and adults to the possibility. And that way, if we do that, we're more likely to see it being brought into the, the mainstream of what our teachers are teaching and yeah. valuing. I agree with you completely, Alan. I think we have to really be sure that we are treating poetry not as an add-on in our curriculum, that it's woven through our curriculum. Yes. And I think on a daily basis, just like we grab a book and read a short story to a child, so we should be doing that with with poetry. poetry. Um, It needs to be given space in the curriculum And I know, Alan, you talk a lot about choice writing, and I think if we encourage our children to attempt, take a risk, try writing a poem after we've immersed them in many poetry reading opportunities. Teachers often undervalue their power to influence and persuade, and yet I work with a young teacher, uh, Sam, and he was, in his own writer's notebook, he was writing raps. 
He was teaching a grade three and he brought those into the classroom and he shared them with his students. And he said to me, that was when I realised my power to influence. He said, because by the end of the week, there were about 10 students attempting taking to write, a taking a risk and being brave writers yeah. and trying the very thing that, that Sam had done. He, he'd taken a risk, he'd been brave himself and it had brought him to that realisation that, wow, I have tremendous influence within my classroom. I think we can't overestimate our power as teachers being a mentor as, you know, as a writer of poetry. Well, they say we, we actually control the weather in our classroom, so we, we are very influential if we allow that to be a force for good, if you like. Exactly, yeah. And if we develop our own confidence as writers. Yes, yes. I mean, it's only through experience that we can then talk to the inexperienced poet about our process. What did we learn from this? Here's here's what I tried. Here's what I learned. Now I'd like you to join me in this journey of discovery. So I think unless we step inside ourselves and have a go at attempting this, Ah, how can we expect our children to do it? Are we holding them in higher account than we are ourselves as teachers. So, so that's that's where, when we do that, we're teaching them how to write yeah. rather than just what to write. Yeah. And there's a, there's, yeah. that's the a really important distinction. Yeah. So you've both mentioned that the teaching of poetry may be daunting for some teachers. How would a teacher best go about preparing for the teaching of poetry? Karen? Well, I know in my experience, I think what we try and encourage is the absolute, as Alan spoke about before, the immersion in poetry. What is the student's favourite poem? What is the favourite poem that they might have at home with their family? Asking their parents and their grandparents. Bringing these poetry books into the classroom. I think why it's probably daunting, one of the reasons, is that it's sort of unknown because the rules of poetry are very different. Yes. Um, whereas if you're teaching a specific genre like narrative or persuasive, it's got a strict recipe it's that defined, you have to adhere it? to. It's, more, it's defined. Whereas poetry defined. could be far more open-ended, and I think teachers find that as daunting and their fear becomes a blocker. <laughs> Well, again, the more that you delve into it, that's when you realise how broad poetry is. You know, it's a a broad family of forms. So you're right, it it can be daunting. And I like the idea that you mentioned about uh, encouraging children to seek out poetry in their home. I think that's really important, even just to ask their parents about it and start a conversation about what do you know of poetry and bring that into the classroom as well. But I know the American poet Ted Couser mentioned the fact that he believes we need to read 100 poems before we attempt to write one. Now, I'm not going to hold teachers strictly to that rule of 100 poems, but it it backs up what you said earlier about immersion. It's really important that teachers uh, therefore curate a, a broad collection of poetry books. I know I've used what I call my poet suitcase, and so I've got this old suitcase that I cram all these poetry books in and I give children what I call a poetry tasting and I ask them to tell me what did you like about those words and why have you chosen this particular poem and I've had teachers uh, set this up in a variety of ways a teacher that I was working with used an old picnic basket another one had a, a replica 
pirate's chest. Someone had a, a fish tank. So they put the books in various containers and allowed the children to explore. rummage yeah. and explore yeah. and find out what what they liked and, and sort of maybe enter some of those words into their notebooks yeah. as an example of these are, these are the words yeah. that I like. This is something that I would like to explore and write in that style too. So there's 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 a number of ways that we can approach this, but the critical thing is that thing of immersion. Lots of opportunity to make discoveries. Which holds true to our belief that the strength in the reading-writing link. So we read as readers and then we can write as writers, but we can read as writers as well. And it also reminds me of that thing, be careful what you read, because that is what you will write. Right. And exactly. yeah. for that reason, putting a wide variety and good quality poetry in, in front of children. And I learned from the American poet, Nicky Grimes, that if we just expose children to humorous poetry, we're actually narrowing possibilities because poetry across time has been used for such a variety of things. Um, It's been used in a political sense. It's been used in a social sense. It it helps us deal with conflict and sometimes is inspiring and calming. So we, we need to be aware of that in curating the poems that we bring in front of the children. Uh, Yeah, I think that's a very important message. We don't just want to give the message that poetry is fun. It can be fun. But it's more than that, isn't it? But it's far more. Correct. um, It has a depth that I think we have to acknowledge and appreciate. So when we we start off with poetry, one of the things that, that I look at are forms of poetry that are fairly... Uh, there's usually a pattern to it, uh, a recurring pattern, because there are patterns in language and poetry that there are in nature and mathematics and science. So we need to alert children to to this. And things like repetition mm-hmm. and list poems that are v- very simple in their form are a good place to start. And list poems are in all, nearly every culture, and they're an easy form for children to be introduced to poetry. Douglas Florian, American poet and artist, uh, has a number of great books that are available, and he he's quite a an aficionado at the uh, list poem. So we can we can use these poets to help us, you know. I guess, soften the introduction to poetry because really what we're trying to do is set the children up to be successful. Exactly. And if we make it too hard, it's a bit like kneeling on uncooked rice and we don't want that to be their experience when they first meet poetry. So things like list poems, poems that use repetition, mm-hmm. poems that use the personification, mm-hmm. ask questions, poems that I used to but now, so there's that contrast yes. of moods yes. and, and attitudes, things that compare so we can use simile and metaphor, allusion, alliteration. alliteration. The, yes, all I of these devices, correct. Yes. There's so much that we yeah. can alert kids to the... We're giving them the tools of poetry and it comes back to what we were talking about before, that it's about how to write it, not what to write. Yes, and it's noticing the poet's craft, isn't it? Correct. What has that poet done to get that message across? Can we now take that and try? Yes. So, Like naming the the actual Naming it, correct, so that they know that this is what I've seen someone else do and we're not saying I'm going to teach you how to write a poem, but we're setting up the conditions in the classroom yes. that enable that to happen, and that's that's our role. Yeah. 
So following on from that, Alan, you make a, a very interesting distinction between making poetry and writing poetry. So what would you say are the most important elements in eliciting the poet within every child? I make that distinction. I, I'm, I'm quite conscious of the fact that I'm saying something that people may be unsure of when I say making a poem. But I also think of one of my great passions is cooking. And so that notion of creating something and making it through a variety of steps and I have to have all the ingredients at my disposal. So preparation is really important in cooking and I've learnt that across the years. So if I've got everything set up, it flows more easily. So in, in thinking about what I want to write or make in terms of the poem, I have to think about what ingredients do I want to include in this. So there's a lot of rehearsal in my head. It's a bit like my head is like a, a tumble dryer, if you like, and all the ideas are going around. And when they're ready, I take them out and spill them across the page. But the idea of making, it's in that thing of creating something special across time. So I don't have to write that poem or create that poem in one go. I might put it aside for a while and let it cool and come back and look at it again and then go back and change the order of words. And sometimes I make decisions about that word's not pulling its weight. It needs to come out of the poem. Or I might find a, a better word, a, a more vivid verb or, or adjective to use in a particular place. So I keep returning to the words. I keep listening to them. So I read them aloud to myself. And then I re-listen to them again to see whether if the words are tripping off my tongue easily, that's fine. But if they're stumbling to get out, I know that I have to go back and rework them. So I often use with children the analogy of when they construct with Lego, there's a certain click when the pieces fit together. And it's the same with poetry. When the words fit together, there's a certain click when the word falls into the right place. So when I, when I talk to children about that, they get it. They understand it because it's something that is familiar in their world. And the other part of it is in making something, persistence. And my father was a builder and I used to watch how he would persist with something and, until he got it right. And um, so we can learn from life's experience about how to make poetry. And I suppose that brings up something that maybe we're trying to fight against is the instant gratification. Ah, so you yes. talk so much about that special word, you know, you'll go back to it and reread it and rewrite it and rethink it. So that's what we want for our children is to slow down, not be in this urgent hurry to just finish. We want them to know the power of the pen, yes. that in that pen, you know, yes. they can really take it slowly and I suppose reflect on what they've written, not just... Yep, it's the, done. The inexperienced poet often asks the question, how long does it take yep. to write a poem? And I, I told them the story of a particular poem that I was writing about a pair of sneakers and I couldn't finish it. I couldn't find the right ending, so I, I put the poem away and I actually had forgotten about it and I found it again about almost exactly a year to the day and when I looked at that poem the second time, I knew exactly how I was going to end it. So... I could have, in reality, said it takes about a year <laughs> because sometimes it does. But again, sometimes there are days when you write and the idea is it's almost like a tap is turned on in your brain and the words flow out across the page and all fall into the right places. And there are those days when writing, it's almost like you're pushing the words out onto the page saying, get out there. And it's hard work. 
but that's where persistence comes in because tenacity to to persist and keep trying so it's important that as you mentioned that we we almost rail against the the idea of instant gratification by showing our process for writing poetry and that if we persist with something we could take our writing from good to great i think it was jackie french that in her book fire oh yes yes i think she said three years it took her to get that wow that's yeah. that just right correct so, so yeah. yeah writers yeah. can have those stories of persistence and uh, poetry is absolutely no different well that's it for part one of this poetry podcast tune in next time for the second part of this fascinating discussion with alan and corin where we'll find out more about the stuff that doesn't go all the way to the edges And don't forget to find out more about the competition. Go to artslearningfestival.com.au. That's artslearningfestival.com.au. That's it for now. Until next time.